What's up, y'all? I'm Sky. And I'm Kamisha. Welcome to Multiversatility University. M-U. Welcome to another episode of MU. Thank you to everyone who has been listening and supporting us. If you tuned into our call to action episode, we included a reflection from educator Jonathan Baker, and we are inviting him today to talk more about tech integration, which we spoke about in our second episode. Jonathan is originally from Atlanta, Georgia, and currently lives in Denver, Colorado, teaching third grade. He's a graduate of Clayton State University with a bachelor's in middle grades education with a focus on student-led instruction. He's worked with children ages 3 to 13 in Atlanta, Chicago, Denver, and in Germany, including charter, private, and public schools. This is his eighth year in education. We invited Jonathan today to discuss remote learning and how it has had an impact and how he's lab- leveraging and navigating through it. Welcome, Jonathan. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Um, Jonathan, how has uh, teaching, uh, you know, using all of this technology? So the previous episode, we talked about just all the various apps we've used. We've talked about... Um, just what that felt like, what that looks like, but how has teaching online, how has distance learning been for you? It has been, it has been an experience. Uh, I think that's as positive as the way I can spin it. Um, yeah, it's just been, it's been crazy. It definitely been some ups, but then definitely some downs, but yeah, making it work. Um, and yet yeah, you mentioned the previous episode, all of those things that you were discussing in the episode, even going back to April of last year, I resonated so much with that experience. Um, yeah, it was just, it was one thing Then we had to, on a dime, tip to something else. We, t- we were told that was going to be a couple of weeks. It ended up being way longer. And then again, shifting gears for something that would feel more appropriate or for this current school year, which we also did. And, and we can talk more about that, but yeah, it's, it's definitely gotten better. It gets better with this, um, but knock on wood, um, the classroom is where I belong. The classroom is where I want my kids. So we'll see what happens. So Jonathan, just so the listeners know, what is or has been your specific situation? So like we've talked about um, like when we started virtual, what age groups we work with, what grade levels and sort of. So what has kind of been your situation from March, April last year until now in terms of like, have you been virtual? Have you been in person? Have you have you gone back and forth hybrid learning? Like what is your specific case scenario? So going back to March last year, that was when we were kind of given like a week's notice that our classrooms are going to shut down. Basically, the school is shutting down. We had to switch to online learning. 
And then I was with fourth grade. Um, and then so basically the rest of that school year was kind of dealing with just a series of apps. Uh, there was basically we used Zern for math instruction. Uh, we used like several different like literacy type uh, online libraries. And I cannot remember what we were using as far as like a writing tool, but basically all of this was being facilitated through Google Meets. And that was, yeah, that's all I remember of the rest of that last year. Um, but then switching, we came back into this current year, still online, uh, but we had a whole new dynamic in place where everything's now being facilitated through Seesaw. Which that was a learning experience, but I am so happy <laughs> to have it. That's uh, kind of like it's kind of like a one-stop shop, but it's basically a hub where I can pull anything from anywhere, and it's all in this one place. Yeah. Um, so, like you were mentioning before, there's no need for all these different usernames and different passwords for this site and that site. Everything is right there in Seesaw. Um, and then, so as it stands, I basically, I've had my same grade online for this whole year and barring some executive order from our governor, it's probably going to stay that way for the remainder of the school year. Okay. Uh, basically about half of our school is now back in the building, um, but that's also contingent on cases of COVID in the state are seen in our county. So if that increases, then they will go back to remote learning for at least two weeks. Um, so yeah, I have not had to deal with any switches. Um, again, I've had my same class online for the whole year. So it's been way more consistent than the other, the other grades, the other groups have been. Did you move up with your, you have the same students you had um, last school year, this school year? No, no, no. So last year I was with grade four, um, but okay. you have siblings of those kids. So about five, maybe five of those kids, they know who I am from knowing their families in the previous year. Nice. Um, so Jonathan, what would you say would be, um, some of the challenges you faced. I know um, a lot of educators were talking about kind of attendance or a work quality. What are some of the challenges you face you have faced so far with distance learning? Yeah, I think all those same things. Uh, I think not so much attendance has been an issue, but more like trying to keep a consistency as far as the schedule. Uh, and I pretty much had the same schedule all year, but it's been a challenge for some kids just like giving them like verbal and visual reminders, like be here at this time. Um, we're switching to something else at this time. Um, and that's also been a challenge because I, if we were all together in one room, you know, 
transitions wouldn't be much of an issue. But I've also been trying to mitigate the amount of time they're on their computers. Um, so maybe that is, that's probably fed into some of those uh, uh, consistency issues as far as showing up because I've been very upfront with them. I do not want them looking at me through their computer for eight or so hours. Like it's just not, it's not developmentally appropriate for this grade. And it's also, I, yeah, it's just not, we wouldn't be doing this if we were in school. Like you wouldn't be staring at me a whole eight hours anyway. So it doesn't make sense to be trying to do that with this type of structure as well. So just how much did you integrate tech when you were in the classroom? So like what, how did you utilize tech? And then to your point, what do you feel like might change for you once you do return to the classroom? Um, as far as tech, basically, in this circumstance, when I'm speaking of technology, I'm speaking of their laptops. Um, every kid mm -hmm. in our class has access to a, their own laptop throughout the day regularly. It's been that way for years. That was basically used as like um, kind of like a like an assistive device. So okay. if we were say researching something like we read in grade four, the whole chest, um, having that computer was a great tool for them to like research uh, the suffrage movement in the 1920s and also who benefited from that and who didn't benefit from that, those type of things. It was like very, almost like supplemental. Um, mm -hmm. And I think their general rule is like at it 10 to 20% of the day. So rarely used in the regular classroom as opposed to now where it's kind of the driving force. But at the same time, I. Again, this is another challenge, but just trying to provide access to materials and activities where they're not uh, so dependent on using a computer. For example, we just started like a listening and writing activity. So although a piece of that is online, I do record myself reading a sentence, but then they take that and they have to actually use a notebook and <laughs> give them several reminders like, no, nope, you're not typing this in Seesaw. I don't want to see your response there. The notebook, you have to write this down and then send me a picture of it. Hmm, okay. I, um, I can definitely agree there um, with the balancing act of technology and our uh, traditional ways of education, if you will. Um, I actually recently just ran into that myself in the classroom. So um, we are face-to-face -face at my particular school, um, but I integrate these tools such as Seesaw and a few other things on a daily just because we never know when um, we'd have to jump to distance learning. And so 
Um, I had a student the other day we were writing and he said, oh, I'll just speak my uh, my book review <laughs> into Seesaw. And I said, wow, I'm so excited that you have mastered that tool. I said, but for today, we are going to just write. And he's like, oh, uh, yep. Go ahead and grab your pencil. Here's your book review paper. We're going to write our book review. So I definitely understand that balancing act of uh, tech integrating the the tools, the technology tools, but also I still need you to work on your letter formations. So yes, exactly. That leads me to wonder about sort of like this generation, particularly because I feel like when it is all said and done, I think it's going to be a solid two to two and a half years. Um, that some students are in the virtual space. And I am wondering what that transition, you know, back into the classroom, like you said, this sort of like, it makes me think of current times where people are more apt to text than to call someone and how that is affecting how we communicate with one another. And so I, I am definitely thinking about what are the, the repercussions, if you will, of this space and time for this group of students. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I was just been thinking, you know, they're, they're all their classmates from the year before prior, and in some cases, or some instances, two years prior, they're all together and they're getting to socialize with one another. So they have intimate contact now on a regular basis, whereas my class, they see each other through computer screens. And some of them live, they're like neighbors, they're neighbors, but they still have not actually seen each other in almost a year. Yeah, I can, I can understand that socialization at any age really um, is so super important. But I think especially in those younger years that preschool through I'd say like fourth, it's the socialization piece is so important. Um, which is why I personally, I was really happy um, and nervous, but happy that we were going face-to-face -face, um, because my students, they do get that that socialization, even though, no, we can't touch, we can't give hugs, um, but we can give foot taps, we can give air high fives. And so they've, they've really taken the socially distant socialization piece and really have made it their own. Um, oftentimes they will like tap, pencil erasers to like give their their partner a high five or whatevs and so but that socialization piece is so important in these early formative years so i i hear you there now kamisha to your point um about wondering what um kind of like what this looks like for students i feel like because this is the digital age anyway um I feel like this will, this experience of being in front of um, a computer screen, not necessarily for hours on end, but kind of the the skills that they are learning um, for younger students, how to just find letters on the keyboard or um, using that uh, talk to text feature. Um, I think these skills will be helpful 
as this is a digital age, I'm not saying that we should do away with writing or any of those things. Absolutely not. Students definitely should know how to write, how to use a pencil, how to form letters correctly, things of that nature. But I think this will give them the boost, um, I feel like, later on in their careers that um, will help them prepare uh, just because they will be so... Um, acclimated to the inner workings of apps and how to navigate devices and things. But. Yeah, I, I agree. <clears throat> but uh, also to Jonathan's point, and you know, we've talked about this in terms of the balancing and the developmentally appropriateness, I also have to think about what the deficits will be. Like, what are they losing by not having the contact by not having, I mean, to hear Jonathan speak to, and it's true, there are literally people that you live next door to. There are people whom, you know, we're not seeing who we would see on a regular basis and just what sort of um, effect that is ultimately having. And we won't know for some time, but I am curious, particularly for the kids who have not gone face-to-face -face yet, what reacclimating back into school environment and being with people will be like and what kind of um, hurdles we'll have as educators with that. And also just to speak to um, what you were saying, Sky, a lot of students are actually benefiting from this. Like the other part that um, does not get talked about a lot are the kids who are thriving. For sure. Virtually who struggle in person. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I can speak to that as well. Um, I have at least two kids who may be on grade four already academically, maybe higher than that. Um, and you, yeah, now that it kind of also speaks to the socialization or sorry, socialization piece, where they recognize they're slightly above their peers. And so having to move along traditionally in a classroom at the speed of the majority did not work for them. So now having some, some autonomy as to how fast they want to go or how slow they want to go, like they basically have that now. Like they understand this, or at least they understand how to get started. They can just pick up and go and not have to worry about, oh, we have to wait for so-and-so person. Like, and that work that works for them, and yeah, want to be able to support them in that way. I do know for myself, um, and I agree, Jonathan. I I enjoyed being able to kind of independently tailor, and being able to do that from the virtual space and sort of ahead of ahead of time. And so, like you said, there is no. It, it was differentiating without it being obvious or without <laughs> having other students kind of like pick up on things. You're able to be like, oh my goodness, I can go to like this place with this student or I can offer them like this extra, you know, this material or, and that was exciting for me. And even now being face to face with lower numbers, um, this that independent and focused time as an educator has been amazing. And um, although I, although I haven't worked in environments where my classroom numbers are overpopulated or obnoxious anyway, I don't know how 
the educational landscape could go back to overpopulating classrooms because it just doesn't make sense in terms of individualized attention, differentiating, and really being able to give kids a well-tailored educational experience, in my opinion. I'm I'm hoping, uh, Kamita, that this um, really shakes up the public education world and the charter world. I'm really um, hoping that they use this as a, uh, a scales falling off of their eyes situation. <laughs> um, because smaller classrooms, smaller classroom numbers, I should say, um, have been proven to work. They have been, pr- the, the individualized attention, the ability to um, give students uh, the that extra push and really meet them where they are. Of course, we we teach for those of us that teach the higher grades, we teach at grade level all material, but then being able to really give that one-on-one attention to differentiate and meet a student where they are, then to bring them up. Um, you really can only do that in smaller numbers. I've tried it with a class of 29 and I drove myself crazy almost. Um, it, I mean, I had to get it done, but it was so much harder to do in a class of 29 than it is a class of 12. And so um, even just down to, to reading when you're teaching, uh, you know, the, the reading curriculum, um, being able to bring over um, a student that is on a certain reading level or a group of students that are um, similar in their reading experience at the moment to be able to bring them over and really go forth and really deep dive into what they need. I've literally seen it. Um, this year alone, I have one student that came in reading at a certain level and um, just the individualized attention, just the the um the constant uh working with him he's literally hopped leaps and bounds <laughs> and so it is proven that these smaller numbers work and so i'm just really um i'm optimistic that this will be a, a rude awakening for the public and charter sector for sure now jonathan we've spoken a lot about the students but what are your hopes and dreams moving forward as an educator as it comes to kind of reflecting on the tech experience and just um, even goals you might have set for yourself? Like, I know that it has definitely encouraged me to be more cognizant of how I in- integrate tech in the classroom. And also, um, as Sky has talked about, they're digital natives anyway, but being really intentional that even though the younger years weren't necessarily deep diving into as much of the tech this year, that they would be uh, prepared if this were to happen in like first grade or if anything like that, because the students who are experiencing it full on right now kind of have an advantage of the students who are not necessarily inundated with it. So just again, like as an educator, what are you kind of hoping for yourself from this past? nearly year experience we're having. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm hoping. Again, I don't know specifically what the future lies as far as will we see classrooms again or will we still have that uh, 
split where some are in class, some are in person. Um, I obviously have a preference, but barring that uh, not working out in my favor or how I would like, I think I'm hoping to just leverage the good that I've noticed and I've seen throughout this year. Um, again, Seesaw has been amazing for me. I love it. Um, even if I were to move back to classroom, I would still feel comfortable utilizing that tool, not to, not to uh, drive instruction, but just as a, uh, an additional resource for my kids to use as they're learning throughout the day. Um, also, I have to, I, just a quick shout out. I've been kind of designated my grades virtual field trip planner and done. <laughs> we have done more field trips this year than I think we've done <laughs> in the past two years. Uh, and it, nice. it's basically been like me going somewhere uh, within the state of Colorado be going somewhere, just taking tons and tons of pictures, tons and tons of video, and throwing together a slideshow, throwing in some extra links and informational resources. Um, and yeah, the, the kids have the kids have loved it. So it is also super cost effective. You don't have to worry about scheduling bus transportation, permission slips, none of that. So that is something I'm definitely looking forward to using in the future as well. Okay, so I just wanna clarify, cause at first when you said that, I know that there are places that offer virtual field trips, like different, so you are actually going out and creating these field trip experience for your grade level and for yeah, students? Yeah, so uh, for example, I drove out west, kind of through the mountains on I-70 to a town called Dillon, where they have they had like a basically like an ice sculpture, but like a designed as a castle. Um, and again, just took a bunch of pictures, um, some videos because they have like a semi light show. And they also have different locations throughout the country. And so there are extra online news links, stuff like that. You can see those different locations as well. But yeah, it's basically me going out and then bringing that experience to the kids again through Seesaw. Okay, that's amazing. And kudos that to you. That is phenomenal. <laughs> oh my goodness. Seriously. Because we've gone on virtual field trips, but Miss Wright isn't going out and, you know, <laughs> hanging off the edge of mountains and things. Like, that is amazing. So, yeah, shout out to you, you, Jonathan. Seriously. And fingers crossed, I'm trying to get to the yeah. to this the Civil Rights Museum and the King Memorial Museum for my kids for Black History Month. We'll see if that happens. Yeah, I was going to say, I know you travel a lot. So do you also do experiences outside of um, Denver or Colorado? I have not yet. I've been very hesitant of that. Um, yeah, just still trying to keep my own health and safety in mind as I'm planning these field trips. Um, but yes, I, I definitely want to, because again, I have so many kids who have not been out of their homes or out of their neighborhoods 
this past year. And so, yeah, just trying to give them as much knowledge about what's going on in the outside world. Um, yeah, that's kind of my kind of my jam. Like, I want my kids to know as much about everything as possible. That really is truly amazing. Um, and I think that really speaks to just uh, educators and the how far we will go for our students and to to really provide them experience one way or another. Um, so, I, wow, that is really amazing. Jonathan, is there anything else you would like to add? Uh, da, 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 da. I don't think I have anything, nothing that readily comes to mind at least. Um, yeah, just aside from enjoying this podcast, by the way, great job congratulations for even getting this off the board like yeah it's nice to know uh, as someone who listens to several podcasts throughout the week it's nice to know people who I'm actually familiar with that are doing the same thing thank you um I appreciate that for sure um it was very nice to um, definitely get you on board um, when we were all down uh, in Chicago together and just kind of developing our skills and growing mm -hmm. as educators. So it's, it's really nice to be able to kind of bring that back full circle. So um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us again um, on, on a lighter note, but <laughs> <laughs> definitely um, thank you so much for bringing your expertise and your experiences to Multiversatility University. We greatly, greatly appreciate you and all that you are doing for students in Colorado. Uh, any last thoughts, Kamisha? Uh, I too would like to say thank you, um, particularly because the call to action episode was sort of, I mean, obviously it was semi-spontaneous, but also something we just felt like needed to be uh address and so again I thank you for like that last minute um pull through and uh contributing and um definitely supporting and listening and we would as always love to have you back again we hope to um definitely do more guest contributors and definitely have um the word just escaped me but have um you know, more inviting more people to the table in the conversation and uh, leaving space for healthy discourse, particularly from the voice of Black men in education, because I think that that is sorely um, missing and something that needs to be addressed. And so we're happy to be a part of it. We are a rarity. <laughs> for sure. And when you get down to early childhood, the the yeah. the pickings are even slimmer. <laughs> yeah, but you're definitely a gift. Um, I'm like my mind is blown by the field trip experience, and I feel like I need mm -hmm. to step my game up. So, same. Kudos. <laughs> <laughs> no more YouTube videos. I guess I need to go make my own. No. <laughs> uh, wow. Um, but no, thank you just for inspiring us in this moment for sure. Um. Guys, thank you again for joining us um, as we release these episodes bi-weekly. Um, we are so appreciative of our listeners, um, our contributors, um, our supporters. 
Um, definitely be on the lookout for the next episode. Uh, we are super excited to bring you more guests, more topics, because class is always in session. 